0: Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged encouraged and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Saying that we're concluding Acts is a bit inaccurate, isn't it? Because while the the book, the writing of Acts has ended we are the church, and we continue, don't we? We still offer the acts of believers in Christ's name and indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. I remember the very first time I read the book of Acts. It was about 40 years ago. I had just returned to our father. I had been a bit of a prodigal daughter, maybe more than a bit. And the life group that we were a part of, was going to study Acts in the fall. So I read Acts that summer, and I have to tell you, I was pumped. I get pretty excited about the Holy Spirit. And I, I felt like, how can I not be filled with great anticipation? Am I really love for y'all? Okay. Great anticipation at what it means to be Christ followers of Followers of the king, when we read what is recorded in Acts, there's so much power of God surging forth to define and proclaim his kingdom. Now, the spirit of God being poured out at Pentecost, we've talked about some of these things. With the sound of a violent, rushing wind, I've been caught in some microbursts of wind recently, and it's terrifying. Flames of fire... People speaking in other tongues. Stephen, seeing heaven open up before him as he becomes the first martyr. Cornelius, a Gentile soldier, his vision aligning with the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter's vision. Peter, who is just beginning to understand that the kingdom of God is not geographic or national, but a spiritual kingdom. Peter's just beginning to understand that the Creator, God, is not just for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. And what stood out to me more than anything that summer as I read Acts was the presence of the Holy Spirit. We know that Acts is titled the Acts of the Apostles, and certainly it was. But more importantly, it was the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Nothing is done in this recorded history that is not led or guided or inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I spent much of that summer doing a word search of the Holy Spirit. I have to confess, back in those days, all I had was a big, fat study Bible with a concordance in the back. And you know what? It was just right. It was what I needed. I want to give a shout-out to study Bibles. If you don't have one, get one. They are a great resource. You can add all the other commentaries later. Imagine with me, if you will, what it was like for these disciples of Christ who had followed Jesus in his life and ministry, suffered the grief of his death, enjoyed the rekindling of hope at his resurrection, experienced the bewilderment of his ascension. When we join these disciples at the beginning of Acts, they are waiting. They are sitting in a room and waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if we were... This is us. We're waiting in the room... And that wild rushing wind comes through and tongues of fire start to form on each other's head and we start to speak out, praising the Lord in languages we didn't even know we could talk in. And this is the beginning of the processing of next steps of being the church. Here we are 2,000 years later and we had greatly benefit from those who have gone before us who have marked out the way of what it looks like to follow Christ. Let me skip ahead in this series to Deacon Stephen and Deacon Philip. We've heard about both of them in this series. And they both play significant roles in spreading the spiritual kingdom of Jesus. I want to share with you a seldom reported historical fact. That at this stage of the church... There are only apostles and deacons. Yes, there are disciples. There's the laity. But on staff, you've got apostles and deacons. There are no priests yet. And the title bishop has yet to be conferred on an apostle. So consider with me, if you will, the ancient holy order of deacons. Deacons who represent the servanthood of Jesus, like Stephen, like Philip, who was a missionary to the Samaritans. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem investigated the coming to Jesus, if you will, of the Samaritans, they wondered, had the door really been opened to the Samaritans? This was something unthinkable to them. And when they investigated it, they discovered, yes, indeed, the door had been flung wide open to the Samaritans. We are told that what we read in Scripture in this text is a result of the martyrdom of Stephen, and we will see that the gospel is not only for Jews and Samaritans, Samaritans, but the whole world, every nation. Now, if you haven't already, and if you'd like to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, I'm going to read that text, today's text to you, and I'm using N.T. Wright's translation. The people who had been scattered because of the persecution that came about over Stephen went as far afield as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, but speaking the word only to Jewish people However, there were some pioneers from among them who were from Cyprus and Cyrene in the first place. And they arrived in Antioch and spoke to the Hellenists as well as the Jews, announcing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here I want to give another shout out to study Bibles. If you had a big fat one on your lap right now, you could flip open to the maps and you could find out where Cyprus and Antioch are. So, we do not know the names of these missionaries. That ended up in Antioch, but we are told that the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number of people believed and turned to the Lord. When news of what was happening in Antioch reached church in Jerusalem, they again sent someone to check it out. This time they didn't send an apostle, they sent Barnabas to find out what was going on. Barnabas arrives, and he determines that, yes, the grace of God was present among them, and he encouraged them to stay firmly loyal to the Lord from the bottom of their hearts. Now, Barnabas wasn't sent just to check it out to see is this actually something that, that God is up to. He was sent to disciple this group of people, and he gets there, and he realizes he needs help. So he goes to Tarsus, he gets Paul, they come back, and they disciple this group of people for a year. Now this is an interesting gathering of people. They are from every other religion, every other nation, every other race, and they wouldn't naturally hang out together. That in itself is pretty noteworthy. But now they have one thing in common. They have all begun following King Jesus, Jesus the Christ. And and so it is that here in Antioch, believers in Jesus were first called Christians. There's more to know about that, but I'm not going to take the time to tell you today. Um, Barnabas Barnabas brings with him a much-needed depth of love. In verse 24, we're told that Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. His name means encourager, son of comfort, a much-needed gift among us. There is a gentle, safe quality about a person who has the gift of encouragement. One of the very most encouraging people we have, I believe, in our midst, kind of glad she's on vacation. I didn't ask. The gift the Holy Spirit has bestowed on her. It isn't even a conscious effort on her part. It simply is who she is because of how the Holy Spirit has equipped her. I've never walked away from a conversation with Jenny that I have not been encouraged. I hope this doesn't put a whole new demand on her life. (laughs) Tim Keller says, encouragement is a sympathetic, loving insistence on the truth, a mixture of truth and love. Let me repeat that. I think it's a really good definition of what encouragement is. Encouragement is a sympathetic, loving insistence on truth a mixture of truth and love. Now, Barnabas encouraged the Christians at Antioch to remain true to Jesus from the depths of their heart, and that is key to encouragement. To point us to Jesus is to encourage us. Keller says that we cannot grow unless we are in the soil of encouragement, and he offers some warnings about encouragement. He says that we cannot surround ourselves with people that are so cowardly that they just affirm us, nor with people who are so impatient that they hand out advice too quickly. While I think some among us have been gifted with the gift of encouragement, and even that in varying degrees, most of us, myself included, Have to work at it. We either need to take our tenderness and mold it into some useful directness, or we need to take our impatient desire to just get things done and offer it to the Lord to ask Him to make it something peaceful and useful in the body. We live in a culture that tends not to be able to keep truth and love together very well. There seems to be an imbalance of being overly long on truth and short on love, or short on truth and long on love. In our culture at large, and even in our own tribe of Christ followers, much of our self-esteem comes from following our dreams and desires, and we want them all affirmed. And some of them should be. The broader culture is always luring the church into loving and affirming their desires. I sometimes look around and realize our compassion, our tenderness towards affirming desires popular in the culture have caught us like frogs in a pot of water that hasn't yet begun to boil. But the heat is being increased And at some point, we will find that we are dying, that we are not living in truth and love. We're simply too tenderhearted to walk in truth as well as love. To love does not always mean to give consent. Encouragement is not an investigation firing away with questions at the person who is sharing with us as though they've never taken the time to think about their own life. Encouragement also does not mean a flowery bouquet of words saying everything's fine. Nor does encouragement come in the form of a drill sergeant saying, well, I think you should do this and then I think you should do that and then report back to me how it all works out for you. And encouragement is most definitely not a judge. You did what? An encourager is transparent about their own struggles, but not so much so that the conversation becomes all about them. This is true in many aspects of being church. I naturally think of prayer ministry When we pray for others, we need to listen, love, and pray. I often say in prayer training, if you remember nothing else about praying for others than to listen, love, and pray, you have all the tools you need. Listening to the person who is speaking to you, listening for the Holy Spirit, loving the person you will be praying for, and then praying, never making the time about ourselves, even if we've had similar circumstances. We are to go to our Father together and make our requests known. Encouragement is like that also. Encouragement is the place where the truths of heaven meet the hard realities of earth. And then we kneel before the Father. And the best way to encourage is in person. Not in a text, not on Facebook, not in video clips, but face-to-face. That's not to say that God can't use those things when we can't meet with our good friends. But seek out people who will meet with you face-to-face. And as Keller says, people who are not so cowardly that they will not give you critique. But also not so unloving that they will give you critique too quickly. Critique before they have listened to you and listened to the Holy Spirit and loved you and prayed for you. To make that happen here among this people group that gathers under this tent or big boat. We need to be all in. We need to be all in, living as brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing each other well enough that the Holy Spirit can actually guide us in wisdom and love and truth as we seek to encourage and sometimes even rescue each other. So how does that happen? Well, I'll tell you one of the ways it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen if you're only here once or twice a month. It does happen if you're wholeheartedly committed to a life group or a gospel friendship group, two things that have been a part of our DNA from the day we planted Because it was the heart of our rector. Or you might, you might just look around and have conversations with people, risk a little bit. I know we have gathered a whole bunch of introverts here. And so I ask you to forgive me when I don't understand that. Um, But risk a little bit. And if you're drawn to somebody, say, hey, can we get coffee? Could we go for a walk? Let's get lunch after church. Use that time. Use lunch after church to get to know people. Or would you like to come to my house this week? You bring the salad. I'll make the entree. I long for our church to do a lot more of that, to be willing to risk a little bit, get to know each other. Barnabas was so good and encouraging with truth and love because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So are we. That's the good news. The the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus in John 14, 26 says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have told you. John 15, 26, But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. So what are some of the things the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus as it concerns us? You see, both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are advocates. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and advocates for us. Some of you are advocates in court, so you know what that means. He prays for us. One of my very frequent prayers is to say, Jesus, please show me how to pray what you are praying for my country, for my state, for my church, for my family, for me. Help me to join you in that. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us, for us, to guide us, to encourage us, to inspire us, and, of course, to bring glory to Jesus. That's his greatest mission. So the Holy Spirit might say some things to us like this. Excuse me if I use us and you interchangeably. I kind of struggled with this. The Holy Spirit might say to us, remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember how he loves you. Remember that you are righteous because of Jesus. Remember that you are beloved of the Father. Remember you are valuable. You have been purchased with the most precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit might say, and because all of those things are true, why are you so upset? Why are we so insecure? Why are we so worried about reactions from people and things they might say or invitations that don't come? Why do we worry about the loss of possessions or worldly power? comfort or control or control. You have Jesus and he is truly all you need. He would remind us, ground your identity in Jesus Christ and not in what you thought you would be or should be or want to be because someone else is. Just in Jesus just in Jesus. The idea is that we will be like Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, that we will get rid of unhappiness and self-doubt, and then we can become encouragers, encouraging others with the encouragement we have received. Listen. Listen, love, pray, encourage. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.